We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Samuel chapter 14. As we continue to learn uh, from the life of David, and as we study his life, I-, I think probably like most of us here, you know, if you were to compare like your victories and your defeats, what do you think you have more of? And if you're here and you're thinking, well, I have more victories, well, well maybe you do, but I would think that's rare. I think for most of us, we're kind of like a-, a baseball player. If he hits, you know, 300, man, he's doing pretty good, you know. And we learn from David, he was a man after God's own heart, but we learn a lot about the mistakes that he made and the flaws that he had. And uh, I pray, though, that we wouldn't then just say, well, if David did it, I can do it. No, it's here so that we wouldn't do it. And one of the greatest areas that David failed in was he failed as a parent. And it was, it was huge. You know, some of you here, you still have kids in your home, and you still have such a massive influence on them. And I really pray that you would take this to heart. You know, because it doesn't matter if you're the king of the country. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor of the congregation or whatever you know, job you have. Those things are really not important in comparison to the, the main role and responsibility you have as a parent. Some of you here as grandparents. Uh, some of us here as uncles or different roles that we have uh, that we can really influence uh, the next generation. And so those are some of the things we're going to learn, among other things. One of the things that we're going to see tonight as well is that, you know, life is filled with these things we call decisions. See, and we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. All of us here, we're a product of many decisions. The most important decision you've got to make is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, if you're here today and you don't know for sure, if you were to go to heaven if you died. Let's just say you went outside and you got hit by a car. Is that impossible? It's not impossible. I mean, you can go home. It doesn't matter how young you are. You can have an aneurysm. You hear things all the time. If you were to die, would you go to heaven? And let's just say you were standing at heaven's door and God asked you a question. Why should I let you in? Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Would you say, because I went to Calvary Chapel, Almani? Oh, no, God would send you down real quick, man, if you said that. Would you say because you're a good person? No, because no one's good enough to go to heaven. You have to have a time in your life where you were born again. And I'm not saying just saying the prayer or going forward to the altar call, because I've seen people go forward to altar calls and their life never changes. They're just kind of you know, messing around, chewing their gum, talking to their buddy. There was not a, a real transformation in their life. There has to be a day, a time, a moment, a season, something where you can point to and you can say, you know what, I received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. And when God does that, it's so cool. You make that decision, that's the most important decision, and then you become a Christian. Let me just say this too. If you're still living in defiance to God, if you're still living in sin, in your own will, then there's no assurance of salvation. Whatever those sins are, you've got to let go of them so that you can know, you know what, I truly have surrendered my life to the Lord. And so I pray that we would make that decision 
to follow Jesus, and then all the other decisions to honor Jesus. Look what we learned today in the life of David. And like I said earlier, we're going to talk a lot about you know kids today. Have you guys ever heard of the property laws of a toddler? Have you guys ever heard that one? Property laws of a toddler. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. (laughs) Number five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. (laughs) Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. (laughs) Number seven, if it looks like mine, it's mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. (laughs) Then number ten, if it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) Our children, you guys, the bottom line is they're sinners, right, from the get-go. And we as parents, we need grace and wisdom to point them to Jesus, the one who saves us from the penalty and the power of sin. And so we have this heavy lesson before us in the relationship of David and Absalom. And David was a great worship leader. He was a great country leader. But apparently he was a terrible leader in the most important role of all in his role as a family leader, a family man. Too bad David didn't take that to heart. Charles Wendell said this, A family is a place where principles are hammered and honed on the anvil of everyday living. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said, I believe the family was established long before the church, and my duty is to my family first. I am not to neglect my family. And D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. And so we read in verse 1. It says in 2 Samuel 14, So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Now we pick it up in the middle of the story. If you remember, it was an ugly story how Amnon had raped his sister Tamar. David didn't do anything about it. And so two years later, Absalom killed Amnon. And then he fled to Geshur. And he lived with his grandparents. And so time transpired. And what we find is that, you know, David had been comforted regarding the death of his son. And, you know, I don't know, I mean, that would be weird, you guys. Think about it. You parents, if you have two sons and one son kills the other son. I mean, you know, it's like, man, you know, of course you mourn for the son that's lost, but, I mean, you want your son back. I mean, the one that's still alive. You don't want to lose them both. And that's where David was. And so Joab saw that. He sees the struggle that David's having regarding his son Absalom. And so he comes up with a plan. And I'm not sure, you know, if he meant well. I mean, I think he did. It appears that he did. But here's the thing, you guys. Even if we mean well, even if there's good intentions, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea. There's a lot of times there's a difference between sincerity and and spirituality. Uh, 
I don't know. Anyways, Job finds a lady who's described here as a wise woman, but I, I really don't think she was all that wise. We're going to see that she comes to do what? To deceive the king. And she's sent by a man. You know, some people might compare this to what happened earlier in the 12th chapter. You guys remember Nathan was sent to David with a story, and then he kind of applied it to his situation. But there's a big difference. Nathan was sent by God. This woman was not sent by God. She was sent by Joab. Nathan told the story to convince David to do a good thing, and that is repent, while this woman tells the story in order to convince David to do a bad thing. And you want to know what the bad thing is? To restore someone when they haven't repented. And we're going to see that was the struggle with Absalom. In a real important verse over in Luke 17, verse 3, where Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, three important words, if he repents, forgive him. Now, the context here speaks of restoration. I mean, we, we, we got to forgive people from the heart, you know, just like that. But there's a difference between forgiving somebody and restoring somebody. And that's what Jesus is speaking of there in Luke chapter 17. If they repent, then there's a the hope for restoration. And so, you know, this woman comes and she wants David to restore Absalom. But where was Absalom? Where was his heart at right now? You know, you got to find out. We're going to see as we go through our study, the woman can talk and she can flatter. She was a great actress. But in this situation, she wasn't really that wise. It's been said that time is a test of all things, and ultimately she was used by the enemy to bring about the deaths of many people. Some of you here, you're terrible actors. You're terrible actresses. And you found that out because you tried out for the play and they said, go away. Remember that? You know, you know, you can't act. We can't put you in the skit. I'm sorry, you're not good. And you want to know something? The more I think about that, I mean, I, I think almost like the better it is. Because if you're a good actor and, and you're a good actress, you can go around just fooling everybody. And you're not even real. And so, you know, those of you that are good actors and good actresses, be careful. That's who this woman was. She was a really good actress. She pretended to be a mourner. Joab sent her. And so this is what happens in verse 4. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also." So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And so the woman comes and she says, I'm a widow. I have two sons. 
One day they were fighting. Does that ever happen, you guys that have sons? They were fighting, but this one was pretty bad. I heard a story the other day about a son who pushed his brother into the wall. They literally knocked down the drywall crazy. Man, that happens, huh? And they get mad. And so here's these two sons. No one's there, apparently, to break them up. And so one of the sons killed the other. And so the rest of the family, she said, wants to kill my only son that's left. I'm a widow. I have no husband. And they want to destroy my heir and extinguish my ember. Now, what would you do? You know, it's a difficult situation. You could apply the letter of the law, but, you know, it's not that easy. I don't know. You know, some of you hear, oh, yeah, no problem. I just kill him. You know, when they brought a woman who was guilty of adultery to Jesus in John chapter 8, they said, according to the law, she's supposed to die. Jesus didn't apply the letter of the law. I don't know. It's a tough situation. And David thought it was a tough situation. The law said in Exodus 21.12, Leviticus 24.17, that he was supposed to die. But David has been given so much grace in his life, he's not really sure what to do. And so this is basically what he says. Let me think about your situation. I'll let you know what I decide. And I'll be honest with you guys. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, some of you are really smart. I'm not. And so, man, sometimes when I'm with decisions, I just have to tell them, you know what, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me ask my brothers and my sisters over here with some godly counsel, and, and then I'll come back to you. You know, and I think that's okay to do. You know, some people, they're really, really smart, and they just know what to do right away. You know, others aren't. I think David here is just saying, let me pray, and, and then bounce it off of others and get some godly counsel. And you know, you guys, if, even if you're a leader, it's okay to do that. You know, one time there was a situation in Numbers chapter 27 when uh, I think there was like four or five daughters and there was no brother and they brought the case to Moses in Numbers chapter 27. And, and Moses just basically said, you know what, let me take this to the Lord. It says Moses brought their case before the Lord and he asked the Lord because he didn't know what to do. Again, in Leviticus chapter 24, same situation. Some guy went out, picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. They brought him to Moses. Moses, what should we do? Moses said, I don't know. Let's find out from the Lord. And he went and, and he talked to the Lord about it. David says same thing. You know, in verse 8, go to your house. I will give orders concerning you. I think he was just saying, let me pray about your situation. But the lady didn't want that answer. And so we read in verse 9, the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you anymore. You know, David had a good concern. As a leader, you're responsible when you're making decisions. For all of us here, myself as a pastor, you guys as overseers, you guys as, as, as dads, as moms, some of you here in your business situations, you make decisions and you are affecting the lives of other people. And there is a heavy responsibility. And David says, you know what, I take this to heart I don't want to make the right one, so let me wrong one, so let me pray about it. And the woman says, "Well, don't worry about it. You won't be guilt, guilty, no matter what you what you decide. You know, I'll I'll be the one that that's guilty because I want a decision right now. You know, in all honesty, you guys, 
I think there are those times when leaders are tempted to think this way, where they're willing to evade the responsibility decisions that are ultimately theirs if they can find someone else to be the scapegoat. Sometimes I'll do that as a husband, to be honest with you. And the Lord's teaching me, you can't do that. Like your wife will come to you and she'll say, what do you think? And like, it's like you know, I don't know what it is. You're too brain dead. Or, or you just lack the understanding that ultimately you're still responsible for the decision that she makes. You're still the leader. A lot of times guys will say, well, do whatever you want. And I don't know. I'm just not saying you can never say that. But leaders need to know, husbands, overseers, whoever it is, that they're ultimately responsible. You relinquish the decision? Okay, that was your decision to do that. You're responsible for what they chose. And so, anyways, this woman is trying to use that trick with David. You know what? I'll assume full responsibility. Don't worry about any type of divine retribution. But David here, he just says, you know what? And I don't think he was making a decision here. I think he was just buying more time. And he tells the woman, I'll protect you if anyone tries to harass you. Still hasn't made a decision, right? But it's still not enough for the lady. And so we read in verse 11, Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And so David, and he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. And so you guys, what happened there? What, what would you say happened? I, I think what happened was that she pressured David into making a hasty decision. David allowed himself to be pressured into making a hasty decision. I mean, first thing he says is, go your way, I'll let you know what's going on. She's all, no, you know what, that's not enough. She pushes a little bit, okay, we'll protect you, that's still not enough. Okay, okay, as the Lord lives, now one hair of your son is going to be harmed. And so he makes a decision. I don't know if you've ever been there before when you felt pressured, you found cornered, you found ordered that you had to make a decision in the heat of the moment, and you did. And because of that pressure, you didn't pray about it, you had no peace about it, you weren't sure about it, but you went ahead and made the decision. The woman got her way. It was a verdict from the lips of the king giving her what she wanted. And just from a practical standpoint, you guys, I can tell you this, that I felt that way sometimes as a, as a parent. You know, um, our kids, a lot of times, they, they just... You know, they want a decision now. And sometimes I, my son will tell me, Dad, it takes like two weeks, you know, to get a decision from you, you know. And why does it take so long? And I try to tell him, son, I need to pray about it, you know. But I don't know if you've ever been there and like, okay, you got to make a decision, got to make a decision, got to make a decision. You're not even sure what to do. And I'm not saying you can never like, okay, do it. But I would say nine times out of ten, if you don't have a peace, don't feel pressured into making a decision. You know, I always think of it this way. It's kind of like when you're at the stop sign and you're going to make a left turn. And, but cars are there. And so you're not going to make a left turn, right? But then all of a sudden this, you know, rude 
big old car comes behind you, man. The other day there was this one. I think they had their brights on, and they were trying to intimidate me. I have a little truck. They have a grown-up truck. It was a big old truck, right? <laughs> and so they were like right on me. And, you know, there's that part of you that just says, I got to go, I got to go. But, but no, you don't make that turn until it's safe. No matter how much they pressure you, Right? And the same is true in life. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. And that's why we have to make sure that we make solid decisions, good decisions, and safe decisions. Unfortunately, David didn't do that. He let the pressure get to him. And, and it's, not, it's not over. Notice what we read next in verse 12. It says, Therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, Say on. And so the woman said, Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. So once she gets David to make the decision... Then the woman reveals the purpose of her performance. And she says, you know what, king? You've indicted yourself. You've indicted yourself. Because you've schemed. The king is guilty of destroying and extinguishing the crown prince of Israel. Speaking of Absalom, that by not restoring Absalom to the people of Israel, that you're doing wrong. You're taking away life. You're banishing the crown prince, Absalom. And she's saying, you're harming the people. I mean, one son's dead. You've got to let the other one live. That's what you said. That's what came out of your lips. And so she was indicting the king. She was saying that the people pressured her into doing this. And then she went on to say, but I knew you would see the light. Because notice what she says, you guys. And this is another lesson for us. She says to the king, you're like an angel of God. And you're able to discern good and evil. And, and, and again, have you ever met someone like that? They're just, they're just a flatterer. They're a flatterer, right? And that's what she was doing. She was a good talker. She's a good actress. She was smooth. And, and she flattered King David. And we have to be so careful. You guys, we have to be so careful. David should have known better He himself wrote in Psalm 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, To the chief musician on an eight-stringed harm, a psalm of David, it says, Help, O Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear among the sons of men. They speak idly with his neighbor with flattering lips, and a double heart they speak. So uh, Proverbs 20, verse 19, it says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate This is interesting. Do not associate with one who flatters with their lips. 
Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. One guy said, Men seldom flatter without a purpose, and they who listen to such music may expect to pay the piper. One guy said, Flatterers look like friends as wolves resemble dogs. Now, I'm saying that to you guys because this is a life lesson for us. You know, not everybody knows this. You know, someone comes up and they tell you the best things in sliced bread or whatever it is, man. You know, they tell you what you want to hear and they just, they flatter you. It's a tactic of the enemy to manipulate you. And this is what this woman did. Now, I need to say this. It doesn't mean it's wrong to compliment someone or to say something nice to someone as a word of encouragement. We've got to make sure we don't go to either extreme. But when someone comes and they just, they're just all over you, like you're so great and you're so good and just, you know, you, I want to just encourage you, look deeper. Are, are they trying to pull the wool over your eyes? Is there a hidden agenda That's all. I'm not saying, you know, don't say nice words to people. But I am saying that one of the life skills that we got to learn not to be manipulated by people who put us in their pocket through flattery. And so David, unfortunately, he's just soaking all of this in. In verse 18, it says, And the king answered and said to the woman, Please, do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, Please, let my lord the king speak on. And so the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. To bring about this change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. Oh, but my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angel of God to know everything that is in the earth. You think she's exaggerating there? I mean, give me a break, man. And the king said to Joab, all right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. And then Joab fell to the ground on his face, bowed himself, and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servants. Joab is the general. Um, it's hard to figure out where he is sometimes. you know. But apparently he was behind this whole thing. Uh, One person said as the head of the army, Joab was concerned that Israel have a crown prince ready to reign just in case something happened to David because David is now about 60 years old. And so he just was probably asking David, hey, Absalom's the next in, in, in line. You guys need to get things right. I see the way your heart's hurting, but he does it in a way that's deceptive. Remember this, the ends never justifies the means. He should have just been straightforward with him, but he wasn't. Because then they could work things out, then they could talk things out. You know, David here asked the woman, was Joab behind the whole thing? And then she goes back to her flattery, right? Oh, my Lord, you're so wise. Like an angel of God, you have wisdom. And you know everything that is 
on the earth. And so, uh, you know, David listens. Interesting thing, I don't think it was because David was so wise. It probably didn't require rocket science to figure out that Joab was behind it, right? I mean, because undoubtedly he's the one that guarded the audience with the king. Undoubtedly he's there listening to the whole conversation because boom, right here he talks to her and Joab had already requested for Absalom to be restored. And so it wasn't that David was like super smart. <laughs> it's just that he just put two and two together. And But in the end, what ends up happening, David says, okay, bring back the young man Absalom. And it's interesting. Now we're going to see this. And this is sort of some deep lessons for us as parents. You know, because what do you do like when your kid's messed up? No offense, kids that are here, I'm sorry. You know, cover your ears right now. Because we don't want to give you the tricks of the parents. Okay, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, and it's like, what do you do when they messed up? And they just want it, you know, they want to be, boom, right, right, wherever, you know. It's not easy. But you want to make sure that you look for repentance. See, Absalom hadn't repented. And this would not be good for him. You know, I think probably the best thing, because again, Absalom is in Gesher. He's kind of like, and we'll just put, say it this way, he's kind of like locked up. Okay, if your kid was locked up, wouldn't you go visit them? Wouldn't you, parents, go visit them? And when you go visit them, and you sit down with them, and you talk to them, then you ask God to show you and give you wisdom where they are. Because if they're not repentant, then second time it's going to be worse. Right? And that's the way it is, I think, with our kids or with individuals, maybe in the ministry, in life. You know, you kind of sit down with them and you get to find out where they are. You don't just sweep it under the rug. And you don't do, we're going to see what David does. He, he's really, really uh, confused as a parent. He says, okay, bring him back. And so look what happens in verse 23. So Joab arose and went to Geshur. It's about 80 miles. It'll probably take about 10 days. And brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. It's weird. He calls him Absalom the young man, and now David's just called the king. Why isn't it Absalom my son? And why isn't it David, you know, the father. It's weird how sometimes titles and distractions can actually get in the way of things that are more important, those relationships that we have with our own family. You know, the only thing worse than forgiving someone without requiring repentance is forgiving someone halfway with a half heart, with a cold heart. Because then, here's the thing, okay, and I, I remember reading uh, someone saying this. I don't know. Maybe it was in a movie. Have you guys ever heard this? Um, you know, make your decision, but stand by your decision. There's a movie out there. Don't tell me what it is. Maybe it was a bad movie. Okay, I'm sorry, man. You know, <laughs> but um, I, and I think it was facing the giants or something. Anyways, you make a decision and you stand by your decision. Okay, David, you made a decision to restore him and forgive him, but you're not standing by it. You're not. You're not showing him grace because even if he is, as they say, unrepentant and still rebellious, that grace that you're showing, it, it now can offer hope to him. It can still reach him. 
But David does it halfway. He says, okay, the young man, let him come to Jerusalem, but tell you what, he's not going to see my face. What kind of forgiveness is that? Imagine that. David allows him to return, but not to the face of his father. In so many ways, this is not how God deals with us. And that question that we we should always ask, what would Jesus do? The way God is, is the way that we should be. God won't forgive us, restore us, unless we repent. And number two, when God does forgive us, he does so completely. Completely. And the Bible says that we are to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us, Ephesians 4.32. And so here's David. Yeah, I'll forgive him. Yeah, I'll restore him, but he can't see my face. And how many times do we do that? You know, maybe with our spouse or maybe with our children, maybe with an extended family member, maybe with a friend. And, and that's worse. You know what, man? We gotta go. We gotta go full bore. Make our decisions. Ask God to give us wisdom. You know, how can you tell if someone repents? How can you tell if someone repents? It can be difficult. It usually takes time, though. What if they cry? Does that prove it? No, that doesn't prove it. The right words don't prove it. Why are they crying? You have to kind of look at that. You know, Are they crying because they got caught? Are they crying because they lost their privileges? Are they crying because of the heavy price they're going to have to pay? Are they crying for themselves? Are they crying for their sin? Are they crying for the crime that they've committed against God and the way that their sin affects others? You've got to really you know, ask God to show you those things. You know, when someone, and you bust somebody and you start talking to them about things and they start making excuses, then they haven't repented. They haven't. Well, Dad, if you're, you know, honey or whatever it is, if you hadn't done this, then, you know, I would have done that. If you had done that, then I would have done this. And I, and I have this condition, you know, I grew up with it, you know, or I don't know, I was growing up, my father did this, and this is my situation. And, you know, you name it, just if there's excuses, then you can just know there's no repentance. Say, it takes prayer, it takes time, it takes investigation, but I think the Lord will show you when someone's really repentant. It's not easy. We also need to remember that there's a difference between forgiving someone and restoring someone. You can forgive somebody who stole money from your business. As a matter of fact, you should. But does that mean you make them your accountant next week? No, there's restoration. It's a different thing, right? We need to forgive people right away. Forgive them right away because if you don't and if you harbor bitterness inside of you, you will be ruined. So forgive them right away. But restore them, that requires repentance. David should have prayed and he should have probed. He should have spent a little time with his son and visited him in jail. You know, I'm sure that if he would have done that periodically, it may have made a difference. Absalom returned, yes, but not to his father. Think about this, you guys. He didn't spend a minute with his father. And, you know, some of them might look at the story and they say, well, David's being disciplined. David's being spanked. Remember, we read that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it's true. But it doesn't take away from the other mistakes that David was making and the choices 
everyone's making here, whether it be Joab, Absalom, this woman. And, and so things are unfolding. You know, we're learning. And so what happens in verse 25? Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. There was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. So he would cut his hair once a year, five pounds of hair, man. Crazy, huh? This guy just had, woo, this hair, man. I mean, this is crazy. And you know, and it's funny, it's funny, because some people will make decisions based on the way someone looks. They just got the look. They got the look. Hey, president, he's got the look. Dude, he's the president. I mean, he's got the look. I mean, give me a break. But Absalom, think about that. No blemishes from the bottom of his feet. I mean, his toes were beautiful. I mean, you name it. I, I know he had some, some strong stomach muscles. Abs, his abs, Absalom, right? I mean, everything about this guy. And you got to remember... And it's a trip. I mean, I have a feeling, and, 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 I, and I don't know for sure, but, you know, sometimes people can get really prideful. Huh. And, and this guy, you know what? More than likely, when he killed his brother Amnon, who was the next in line for the throne, he already had his eye on the throne. Later on, we know, think about this, his son, David's son, is going to muster up a rebellion against the king. He's going to steal the hearts of the people. And he's going to go and he's going to sleep with his dad's wives, willing to kill his dad. David, and I'm not blaming it all on David. Absalom had a choice to make, but I think there is a responsibility that David had. Through his neglect, he created a monster. A monster. Absalom here. He had a few kids. It says in verse 27, to Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. Notice he, he named her after his sister who had been raped. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. So in their genes, you know, in their, you know, you know, blood, they were just beautiful, you know, good looking. But they weren't, he wasn't, he wasn't a good person. And so what ends up happening in verse 28, And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. It's crazy. They lived in the same city, but they didn't spend any time together. He was not allowed to see the face of his father. Now you look at the whole story here, you guys, and Absalom was an ugly guy. We're going to see later just the crazy things that he does. And more than likely, he was going to, we're going to see he was influenced by Ahithophel, one of David's closest friends, and there's going to be treason and rebellion. But, you know, in reading the story, you know, in reading this, I wonder what would have happened if David, the man after God's own heart, had decided not just to be the king of Israel, but the father to Absalom. I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder if it would have been different. Again, it may not have changed his son's heart, but I would venture to say it would have been the best chance that Absalom would have had in life. 
You know, the best chance, if only his father spent time with him, if his father showed him grace, if his father didn't ignore him, if his father didn't torture him by not spending quality quantity time with him. I mean, imagine how it would have made him feel. And again, we know some people say, well, no, it wouldn't have made a difference. Maybe not, but I, I think it would have. So here we find, you know, a situation that can be very common for us as parents. I read a I read a, a poem. Let me read it to you. It says, My precious boy with the golden hair came up one day beside my chair and fall upon his bended knee and said, Oh, Daddy, please play with me. I said, Not now. Go on and play. I got so much to do today. He smiled through tears and eyes so blue when I said, we'll play when I get through. But the chores lasted all through the day and I never did find time to play. When supper was over, responsibilities done, I was much too tired to play with my son. I tucked him in and kissed his cheek and watched my son fall asleep. As I tossed and turned upon my bed, those words kept ringing in my head. Not now, son. Go on and play. I got so much to do today. I fell asleep in a minute's span. My little boy is a full-grown man. No toys are there to clutter the floor. No dirty fingerprints on the door. No snacks to fix. No tears to dry. The rooms just echo my lonely sigh. And now I've got the time to play. But my precious boy is gone away. I awoke myself with a painful scream and realized it was just a dream for across the room in his little bed lay my curly-haired boy the sleepy head my work will wait till another day for now i must find time to play we got to spend time with our kids what a difference it'll make David didn't do that. You know, we learn these lessons from David. And he dropped the ball big time. Two full years, think about that. And he didn't see the king's face. So what ends up happening? In verse 29, Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's home and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. Now, I don't know if uh, if Absalom right here is just, you know, saying the right things. But, you know, this sounds like it might be sincere. I don't know. Verse 33, so Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. 
And so Absalom, again, he's trying to, to reach his dad. He goes through Joab. But Joab's not returning any of his phone calls or text messages or emails. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever, right? And so what does he do? What do our kids do when we don't pay attention to them? They, they do something crazy. You know, and, and, and I don't want to get all psychological here or anything, but sometimes some of those things that they do, they're cries for attention. Because no one's paying attention to them. Here he, sits, he says to his servants, hey, you know, um, you guys go set Joab's field on fire, man, because they're just not, they're just not paying any attention to me. And, and, and what we find is the truth is sometimes the only times our children get our attention is when they do something wrong. We shouldn't be that way. The only time they talk to me is when they're correcting me. Shouldn't be that way. The only time they, you know, take me out to, to lunch or, or dinner or spend you know, time one on one is when I've done something wrong. It shouldn't be that way. Let's not wait until they do something wrong. Now again, you guys, I don't know. Only the Lord knows. I'm not saying that Absalom was on track whatsoever. If I had to guess, I would say that he had his eye in the crown for a long time. But only the Lord knows what's going on deep in the hearts of the hurting people. See, but Joab here is then forced to face Absalom. They have their talk and finally, man, after years of being apart, not seeing each other, father and son, they, they face and, and they embrace. And I, and I wonder, you know, I wonder, like, was it real? I don't think so. I don't think so because of what happens next. You know, I was thinking about a similar story over in Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal son came back. And he had done just crazy things. You guys remember, he told his father one day, he said, you know what, I want, I want my inheritance now. Give me my money now. father had two sons, and he would split the inheritance between them. And, you know, the son, a selfish son, you give me my money now. Basically, what he's saying is, I, I don't. I, basically, you. I don't care if you die, because he wasn't supposed to get it until the dad died. You're nothing to me. Just give me my money. So he goes and he gets his money, and he goes and and he parties. He gets high. He does drugs. He buys prostitutes. I mean, he's just out there living a prodigal life, a wasteful life. Until you guys know the story, right? He comes down so low, can't find a job. Finally, he finds himself at rock bottom. He wants to eat the the food that the pigs are eating, and then finally he comes to his senses and he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my dad and I'll tell him, you know, hey dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll just be like one of your servants. And so, you know, he goes back and when the father sees him from a distance, what does the father do? He, he runs to him and he puts a ring on his finger and a robe on him, puts sandals on his feet, he kills a fatted calf, because the son came, I'll tell you what, he said, real, real, real true, real honest, I have sinned before heaven and in your sight, Father. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Those three words, I have sinned. I wish we would hear that more. Not the excuses. I just, I have sinned. Because then you bring God into it. And see the way the father restored him? Man, just, you know, he didn't hold back. 
David, unfortunately, he, he did it completely different than God did. And, and that's why it didn't work. We're going to see as we go through our study next week, Lord willing, the crazy thing that happens. And then Absalom usurps a rebellion. Let me give you guys a, a few points real quick. Uh, six things that I think we can learn from our text tonight. Number one, seriously pray about the decisions you make for yourself and for others. Don't even hesitate to say, hey, i got to pray about it, if you're not sure what to do. You guys know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. We have to become a people that learn how to pray about things. Learn how to give things to God and listen to Him for His answers. To wait on Him. So don't be afraid to pray about the decisions you make. Number two, beware of the wise guys and wise gals who are sometimes just good actors and actresses who know how to talk, especially with flattery. Beware of that, you guys. Don't let anybody manipulate you. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you won't be manipulated. You shouldn't be. This woman would flatter David uh, to manipulate the leader. We're going to see next week, Absalom would flatter the people to manipulate the followers. You know, they'll manipulate you if you're a leader because they want you to make decisions on their behalf. And they'll flatter the others because they want them to follow them. Be careful. The Bible says, Proverbs 20:19, Do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. And a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Number three, don't be hasty in the decisions you make. If you feel pressure to do it now, it's probably something you shouldn't do. <laughs> you know how that is? You know, like you go and, you know, I don't know, the salesman. Some of you guys are really good with salesmen, huh? Some of you guys are really good. They won't pressure you. But for some reason, I don't know why, man, they kind of like, they get me. They're like, well, unless you make the decision right now, in five minutes, you're going to lose, you know, $10,000 and it's a great deal for you. And you're like, what should I do? <laughs> Usually, if they press you like that, it's not good, right? Am I right? I think so. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than him. Number four, when restoring people who have fallen, don't be guilty of sloppy agape or cheap grace. Pray and probe that God would show you if they've truly repented. Luke 17, 3. Number five, if you forgive someone, then forgive them. Forgive them. How pathetic it is and how sad it is when you know you forgive someone but you get all historical on them, right? You get all hysterical. Oh, yeah, well, you did this last week. And then, you know, they're talking about things you did like five years ago. It's like, dude, I thought you cast that sin as far as the east is from the west and you remember it no more. Don't you understand that God, don't you understand that when God forgives you, he takes your sins and he puts them behind his back and the Bible says he remembers them no more. Now, I'm not saying you can't, you know, remember them in the sense that you're making decisions, whatever it is, with your kids or your spouse or whoever, but you don't throw it in their face. Every chance you get, 
You've got to forgive from the heart the way God has forgiven us. And then the final thing is this, number six. Remember, you, yes, you might be, I'll call it the X factor. I don't know if that's good or not, especially as a parent. What a difference you make, mom, dad, but all of us here. If we go, you never know, man, what God will do. As parents, the Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Bible says in Proverbs 29.15, The rod and rebuke give wisdom. And here it is. This is the one that just gets me. But a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. And that's the one thing that I really want to encourage you guys not to do. Don't neglect your children. Don't leave them to themselves. Don't leave them to kind of like raise themselves. They need you. They need you to spend time with them. From what I understand, um, because of divorce and sometimes both parents working, today parents spend 40% less time with their children than they did just a generation ago. You see, that's why we're in the mess that we're in. What we find, you guys, is that we need to come back to and learn lessons, you know, as parents. What a difference we make. And I think you guys know that. Let me close with this story. Uh, Charles Swindoll told this story. He said once uh, he found himself with too many commitments in too few days. Have you guys ever been there? One thing about us in America is we busy people, huh? And so he got nervous and he got tense about it. He said he was snapping at his wife and his children. Uh, he was irritated at interruptions. And uh, before long, things around our home started reflecting the pattern of my hurry-up style. It was becoming unbearable. And so he said, I distinctly remember after supper one evening the words of our younger daughter, Colleen. Uh, she wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her at school that day. And so she started to tell him, you know, in a real, real fast way, Daddy, Daddy, I want to tell you something, and I'll, and I'll tell you really fast, right? Because she knew his dad was in a hurry, right? And so uh, he, he kind of he, he realized, you know what, this isn't right. He said, honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. And then uh, he said, I'll never forget what she said. She said, okay, Daddy, I'll say it slowly if you listen slowly. And that's what, that's what our kids need, man. They need our time. They need our attention. I know there's a lot of other things to do, but you want to know something? They're not as important as our kids. I pray we would know that. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word and just so many lessons about life and decisions and dealing with people, being manipulated, pressured, but especially that lesson of being a parent. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. And I know there are some here that are still right in the very middle of these things. And 
and others that are counselors and others that are aunts and uncles and others that, Lord, are, uh, are grandparents. And just, I know that you can use their, their lives because there are people here that love the Lord and that love others. And you can take their life. I pray they would know you can take their life and you can really use it in a, in a great way. And I want to thank you, Lord, that when I came back to you as a prodigal son, that there was no hesitation on your part. You just forgave me and you rejoiced and you made me your son again. And my heart just goes out, Lord, to anyone here who needs to come back to the Lord. I pray that they would completely come back to you and you do a great work in every heart. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.